at Stories in Medicine. This week is going to be a little bit of a mix-up. I just started a new job and it's really incredible and I love it, but it is really, really busy. And all of the podcasting things that I was hoping to have done on my little break either didn't happen or they didn't happen as planned. So as with anything technical, uh, sometimes there's issues. So I don't have a full episode out for you this week. I try really hard to only put out episodes that sound really good and you can hear the audio pretty clearly. And when your entire podcast is interviewing people all around the world, sometimes the audio quality is not the best and you have to do either a lot of editing or you have to re-record things. So that is how it's been going lately. So instead, we have this kind of weird mashup episode of two feel-good stories from Rich and Mira that I had cut out for time, and then also part of a segment of an episode that was actually released for Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. I had done a segment on General Anna May Hayes, who was the first female to achieve the rank of general in the U.S. military. She was a nurse that started her career in the U.S. Army in field hospitals in World War II in Korea, and then eventually progressing up through the ranks was the chief nurse of the U.S. Army. And it's just a really cool story about what she did and very inspirational for females in not only the military, but in healthcare and specifically nursing. So I figured instead of giving you guys nothing, I wanted to give you a story that I did for Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and then also these extra little bonus stories from Rich and Mira. And with the new job change, I am also going to be changing the podcast release days. So I would kind of release the episodes Sunday nights, Monday mornings. So now I'm just going to push it back a day, Monday nights, Tuesday mornings, depending on where in the world you are and depending on how I get my shit together. So yeah, some changes coming to the podcast. Hopefully they will all be good things. There are really fantastic guests that are lined up and fantastic guests that I have recorded with. I just need to figure out how to get that out to you. And sometimes that takes a little bit more fine-tuning than I expected. I also want a bit of feedback from you guys. I am always saying I love feedback and I love interacting with you. But I would love to know if you prefer longer episodes, if you prefer me to keep everything all together, or you do like it when I cut some stuff out and release them maybe as bonus episodes or just not release them at all. Please let me know. Let me know on Facebook. Let me know on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, or send me an email. You can always do that. You know, let me know how you want this podcast to go. I I would love to have your input on these things. So I am going to share some just two short little stories that were cut out at the end of the episode. And they're kind of happy stories. They're feel goody stories, which is a real nice change of pace for this podcast. I say this with basically every guest, you know, tell whatever story you want to tell. People kind of remember the more tragic stories. Those just stick with you a little bit longer. And it seems to be a bit harder to really drag out the good stories. And sometimes at the very end, people will go, oh, yeah, there was this really good one. Because the good ones, they make you feel great, but they they don't linger. They kind of just, they're always little moments that are not necessarily these huge tales as opposed to the, the negative things or something that really kind of just has embedded itself in your memory. So this can be a really dark podcast at times, and I really appreciate everyone for sticking with us. And 
I wanted to give you a little bit of a treat of some happier stories. And I also wanted to share some happy things that's been going on a little bit behind the scenes with the podcast. I don't know how many people have been interacting with us on Facebook, but in the episode Nurse Jane, I had mentioned the amazing work that Jane's parents have gone on to do for domestic violence victims. And then in December, I had shared a news article about how Jane's father, John, had actually won an award from the British government, specifically the Queen, I think, called an MBE for his distinguished service to the community and domestic violence victims. And I had shared that and my tiny little podcast didn't think it would really get anywhere. But the Facebook page Justice for Jane actually saw that. And because Justice for Jane Facebook page had actually shared my comment about the story and the amazing things Jane's parents had been doing, John, Jane's father, had actually commented that it was really wonderful that Jane's story was being shared around the world. Now, I have no idea if they actually listened to the podcast, but just the fact that they recognized that we were sharing that story. I had no idea that the podcast would do these things, that it would actually have meaning in other people's lives other than me just telling crazy stories about a job that I had done before. And he had said that he was so touched in his comment that her story was being shared around the world. And her story about domestic violence truly was shared around the world. I went and looked back and it had been downloaded on six continents multiple times in Canada, in the United States, and several times in Australia, even making it onto the charts there for an episode, which is insane for a tiny little podcast like mine, but also places like Iran and Vietnam and Cambodia and Peru and Spain, and which Spain is not so far from the UK, but it seems very far from me here in America. But other people have said to me that, oh, I listened to Jane's episode and Then I went into work and said, how can I make sure that we have policies in place in our facilities so that we don't have violence against our employees here? And how do we make sure that this doesn't happen here? And it's just so humbling and so mind-boggling that a conversation that I had with another nurse who was in Japan about something that happened in UK could precipitate change in a part of America. Uh, So I'm so truly grateful for everyone that's listening And I really wanted to share that with you because you all did this. You guys are a community of people that are listening to this podcast and enjoying it and sharing it with your friends and helping it grow. And I'm really terrible at social media. The podcast people say you should post every day and share your episodes and all this stuff. And and I don't do that because I have a full-time job and a per diem job. And sometimes I pick up jobs doing other things and I have a life and I I don't share (laughs) I don't engage on social media as much as I should to be really marketing things. Like if I was part of a podcast network or something and NPR and they actually advertise for me. So I, I don't do those things. So the growth of this podcast is really from the listeners and and I'm I'm so truly grateful. And another thing that I'm really grateful for is that for those of you that listened to the episode with Tech Sergeant Dan Fi, Why We Do It. I had posted about Dan, the firefighter who had been wounded in Afghanistan. It is the end of January when I'm recording this, and Dan is going to be doing the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Firefighter Stair Climb on March 10th, 2019. It is going to be at the Columbia Center in Seattle, Washington. There are going to be over 2,000 participants from 
all over the United States and maybe more, I don't know, but they're career and volunteer firefighters. They're going to be climbing with over 50 pounds of gear. They're going to be in their turnout gear and they're going to be on air. They're going to go up 69 flights of stairs, which is over 1,300 steps and a vertical elevation of 788 feet. That's incredible for anyone who is in any amount of shape. But as you know from listening to the episode, Dan lost one leg in Afghanistan and part of his other leg, which he had to regrow. So Dan is a complete badass for not only becoming a firefighter, but then going on to do this and to help other people. And when I had posted the episode initially, I had said I wanted to support Dan's fundraising efforts to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I had donated $100. And I said, if Antidote's listeners go to his page and they match my donation, I will donate another $50. Well, we did that. And that's really incredible. And now I got to cough up another 50 bucks. So thank you guys. Thank you so much for going out there and doing it. I know Allison in Australia, she decided to donate to the local Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Australia because she wanted to help out folks in her neck of the woods, which is totally understandable. But I want to say thank you. Thank you so much to the Grams. Thank you to Angela. Thank you to Francis. Thank you to everybody that donated and matched my donation. Now, of course, everyone can still donate. You can still go to Dan's page. And I actually created a short link. So it's bit.ly slash firefighter Dan. All one word. Don't worry about capitals. bit.ly slash firefighter Dan. You can go on over to that link. And of course, I'm going to post it in the show notes. I'm going to post it on Facebook. I'm going to to post it on Twitter, all the social medias. And please support Dan. He is a little bit over halfway at his goal of $1,800. So he's at $970 now. I'm going to join another 50. So he's going to be getting a little bit closer. But I would love to see him at his goal of $1,800 before March. We have basically a month to do it. I think we can definitely get there. And I know this amazing community can help out with that. All right. That was a lot of housekeeping stuff that I don't usually do before episodes because I want to give you as much time for the story and and not detract from what the guests are usually saying. But since I had a little bit more time this week, I figured I would get some of that housekeeping stuff out of the way. All right. So the first part is going to be the segment from Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and you're going to hear another voice in this part. And that's actually Tina, the host of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And she is fantastic. And if you are interested in healthcare-related true crime, I would definitely recommend checking out her podcast, which you can get anywhere that you listen to Antidote Stories in Medicine. So check her out. And also you can find her on social media at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse Podcast or GNBN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I hope you guys enjoy it. So this story is, it's a good nurse. (laughs) This is about Brigadier General, who we just called General, Mm -hmm. Anna Mae Hayes. She is the first female to ever achieve the rank of general in the U.S. military. Now, I will say there was another female who was who was pinned like immediately after her but uh general hayes was actually just pinned first so she Mm -hmm. gets the distinction of being first so i don't i will mention that that female's name at the end and you'll notice i keep saying female as opposed to woman or something else because when you're in the military that's the word for it so ah interesting yeah so we refer to females as females and you know i don't say boy or guy you say male it's just 
the proper terminology. So just like in medicine, we have our proper terms. The military has their proper terms. So Anna Mae Hayes was actually born Anna Mae McCabe in Buffalo, New York in 1920. Another New York story, too. And then very quickly moved to Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Uh, She graduated from Allentown, Pennsylvania with honors and then started nursing school at Allentown General Hospital in 1938. I don't know when she graduated. It was a little unclear. But I think 1940. It was one of those hospital nursing programs, but she got her RN and then she joined the American Red Cross following graduation. And then as everyone knows, Pearl Harbor happened Mm. in December 1941. And that following May of 1942, she joined the Army Nurse Corps. So the Army Nurse Corps was a little bit separated from the regular Army, just like the Women's Auxiliary Corps was a separate branch of the Army. The women were not actually integrated within the Army at this time. So she said that after reading papers about citizens serving the country, she knew she could do the same as a nurse and she wanted to help out. And again, men were being drafted for World War II, but all of the nurses, they were volunteers because they were women. They didn't have, They were not drafted. So she entered as the rank of second lieutenant, which is the lowest officer rank. Her first deployment and her only her deployment for the duration of World War II was to Lido, Assam, India in January of 1943 with the 20th General Hospital where she worked as an OR nurse. Lido, Assam, India is a thousand miles north of Calcutta and it was at the entrance of the famous Lido Road through the jungles into Burma, which is now Myanmar. The soldiers were building a route to China so that they could attack the Japanese. Hmm. She lived in an austere environment with bamboo buildings. There's lots of uh, monsoons, dysentery, and snakes. And I hate snakes. And if anyone has listened to my podcast, I tell an entire story about how much I hate snakes. Yep. (laughs) It's a good one, too. (laughs) Um, She spent the remainder of World War II there, which was two and a half years. During that two and a half years, the hospital cared for 49,000 patients and they they were very sick. Wow. She decided to stay on active duty and was promoted to first lieutenant in April of 1945. She went to Tilton Hospital in Fort Dix, New Jersey, where she worked 12-hour OR shifts six days a week as the head nurse. Then she was promoted to head nurse of multiple medical and surgical units. She got promoted very, very quickly to captain in December of 1947. She was then sent to Valley Forge Hospital in Pennsylvania as the obstetrics supervisor. She studied premature infants at the University of Pennsylvania and was sent to start, she was set to start a course at Columbia University to get her BSN, but the Korean War broke out. Wow. Yeah. So this will be her second war. Good grief. Yeah. She's done a lot already. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like in her 20s. So Captain Hayes at this point. And by the way, she got married and then her husband, I believe, died. in. Uh, she went from McCabe to Hayes. I think her husband died in 1962. So she was married only briefly. Oh. So she deployed to Korea with the Fourth Field Hospital. She participated in Incheon Landing, which was a huge turning point in the Korean War for the Allied soldiers. Um, And then they started to march on Seoul and kind of retake parts of Korea. She has a quote here that says, we were always extremely busy, both in Incheon area and later when we had to hurriedly evacuate in February of 1951 to Taegu at the time, 
the Chinese and North Koreans almost reached the Incheon area. I can remember traveling south from Incheon area to Taegu by train in the middle of the night, not knowing when the railroad trestle over which we traveled would be blown up. Mm, how scary. So, wow. Yeah. So from September of 1950 to July of 1951, her field hospital treated 25,000 patients. One night alone, they saw 700 patients. Good grief. It's just, yeah, the numbers worked- are staggering. I can't get my mind around that, how they yeah. even manage that. And Korea was notorious for having not enough supplies, not enough soldiers. It was very hard to get to. It was very, very cold. And this, she would say that this was a much harder deployment than World War II. The OR was constantly busy. It was freezing, limited su- supplies. It was very difficult. However, she did note that there were several medical advancements since World War II, including the advent of antibiotics, availability of whole blood, and rapid medical evacuation with helicopters that did not exist. Mm. So there was much better patient outcomes. So after Korea, in May of 1956, she became the head ER nurse of Walter Reed Medical Center in Washington, D.C., which is where I am at now. Mm. She was selected as one of three private nurses to care for President Eisenhower when he was there in June of 1953. So this is like just after she gets there. A month later, they're like, you're going to care for President Eisenhower. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And he was hospitalized for 23 days for an ileitis attack, and they became close friends up until he died in 1969. <sighs> They became buds. <laughs> what? Yeah. And she's just so cool. I want to be friends with her. And in 1957, she returned to Columbia to obtain her BSN in nursing education. She's like, all right, guys, sorry, you had to wait. There was a war, Ugh. but I'm back. <laughs> Let's do this. In 1962, she completed the U.S. Army Management School. She was the first of two nurses to do so. So nurses prior to this point had never been allowed to attend non-nursing army education courses. So big army, the rest of the army was off limits as far as education courses to nurses. Hmm. So this was a big deal that she could go outside the medical corps and get training, especially in management and leadership. In 1963, she was promoted to lieutenant colonel, which again is another big deal because most nurses retired at the rank of major. And she was assigned to the office of the chief of the army nurse corps under Colonel Margaret Harper. In June of 1963, she became the assistant chief and she had a lot of projects. One of her projects was the mandatory issuance of uniforms to nurses. So this is the beginning of Vietnam. Nurses are getting deployed over there and they're not all getting army uniforms. What in the world are they wearing? I guess there's their... Their civilian clothes. Yeah. (laughs) Which is crazy. Yeah. So this is just really how the army was viewing nurses as not part of the army you know oh the the nurse corps is separate they're women oh they're not really a priority wow. and she's like no no, no. we we want to be taken seriously mm-hmm. we, we are, deserve to be you, taken seriously we deserve to be taken seriously we are you guys we're gonna look like you guys and you're gonna you're gonna do it and so in 1965 she this was her first of three trips to vietnam she went there with colonel mildred clark who was the 16th uh chief nurse and the Army was short 2,000 nurses to help in Vietnam. Obviously, everyone knows that Vietnam was insanely bloody. There was a lot of casualties. And the more and more the war dragged on, the harder it was to get nurses. 
And just like World War II, there was a draft. Men had to go, but women did not. So the women that served as nurses in Vietnam, they volunteered. Even with all of the negative things being said in the papers about soldiers going over there, these women signed up. They said, nope, I need to care for our service members. I'm going to go. And there are several hundred women that are nurses that died in Vietnam. And just a little bit of a sidebar, there is a nurses memorial um, at the Vietnam Memorial, mm-hmm. and it is dedicated to the Vietnam nurses. And it's really beautiful. It is, if you look at the Vietnam Memorial, um, I love looking at all the monuments here in D.C. because you can see how they kind of represent what they're actually memorializing. You know, you walk through the Vietnam Memorial, it starts, you know, really small. And as the war progresses, the names get bigger and bigger and then you kind of come out of it. And there's few and fewer names on the wall, but just off to the side, kind of in a clearing, almost like a field hospital would be off to the side. These nurses are kind of like looking up, one's looking up to the sky, another one's pulling security. Another one is comforting a wounded soldier. Um, These ladies are really tough. They're strong and they're like down to business and they're just there um, looking over the memorial. It's really cool. If you ever get to D.C., uh, go and see the women's memorial. Oh, I'm going to go see it now. The nurses one. It's it's awesome. I actually have a picture of it. I can have you guys post it on oh, Facebook. Oh, yes, definitely. There, I have like a tourist in the background of it. So just we'll ignore the tourist, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, so because of the shortage of nurses, she's like, all right, we need to train nurses. We need good nurses going over there. They helped establish and train ner- more nurses at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Nursing RAIN program. So her and Colonel Clark, Mildred Clark, uh, developed that program. Hmm. In July of 1967, she was promoted to a full bird, which is a full colonel, by the Surgeon General, Lieutenant General um, Heating. In September of 1967, she became the 13th Chief of the U.S. Army Nurse Corps, which she held until her retirement four years later. In August of 1967, she graduated with her MSN from Catholic University in D.C. with service in nursing service administration. So she went to Vietnam three times total to oversee the deployed nurses and the care of nursing to injured service members. During Vietnam, 40% of the nurses on active duty were deployed at any given time, which meant that there were fewer nurses back in the States to advocate for nursing as a profession in the army Mm -hmm. and to kind of say, hey, we're here, we need to be taken seriously, you know, and having a face. So she very strategically placed nurses in highly visible, highly trained positions so that higher ups in the government and higher ups in the military would recognize nurses as being important to military service and the government. For example, the first female social aid, military aid to the White House was an army nurse. She also placed more nurses as instructors for enlisted courses and training. So uh, batch RNs are officers, but there's LPNs who are enlisted and then medics are enlisted. I was a medic in the army, mm-hmm. so I was enlisted. And Colonel Hayes decided that nurses should be the ones running these running courses for training for certain medical providers in the army. She also increased the number of courses required to meet the nursing standard, which is wonderful. But as someone that had been in the army, I know I'd be like, oh my God, (laughs) more training. (laughs) Sounds terrible. Great for the profession. Terrible for the soldiers. (laughs) You always want to train more. She also, she oversaw the creation of many graduate level 
programs, like degree programs, including the first Army-sponsored CRNA program that was developed at the University of Hawaii, which I thought was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So this next part, I was reading this last week, and I started to get kind of teary-eyed because there's so many things that were really backwards in um, the military as far as the treatment of women that I just didn't realize how recently this was. And Colonel Hayes at the time made a lot of strides to change things for women in the military. So she, through her work in January of 1970, a army law was reversed that women would no longer be automatically discharged after they became pregnant. Married officers were not. So uh, yeah. some of the, goodness. Sometimes when I, we're talking about some of these stories, I get so in just absolutely enraged because I'm just thinking, how in the world? Oh yeah. Just it's just unbelievable. It's crazy. Well, I think the idea is that and I'm not defending this at all, that, oh, you can't do your job because you should be looking after your family mm. or it's not the best for your child or, you know, it is it is the Army. You should be able to be deployable and serving. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're pregnant and you're going to be taking care of a child, and then you maybe you can't do that. It's still the option that you can get out of the military if you get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Now, that is an option. It can be your choice. It, but it's your choice. They're not like, or two. oh, you're knocked up. Yeah. I mean, maybe you maybe you want to be deployed and your husband wants to be the one to stay home with the child. Oh, yeah. And I have friends that are female soldiers and their husbands have stayed home when on their deployments. And some of their <laughs> my boyfriend is actually pointing to himself as being like, yeah, it's home. like I'll volunteer. <laughs> it's like you go deploy this time. <laughs> I did that. I'll stay home with the kids, hon. <laughs> like I got the dog. That's great. <laughs> And the cats. <laughs> yeah, and some couples, they're both in and one deploys and is home with the kids and then the other one deploys, especially with these current wars where they've been going on for so long, they kind of just swap on and off. Yeah. And But this is 1970. And actually, I, I skipped over one part. In 1967, in November, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed Public Law 90-130 with Colonel Hayes in attendance at the White House. And this law allowed females to obtain the rank of general for the first time. So she is a colonel, which is the rank just below general officers. There's four ranks of, ge of general officers, brigadier general, lieutenant general, major general, and then actual and general, mm -hmm. which is the four-star general. Um, women could not obtain that rank. Like, doesn't matter how good you were, you just couldn't get promoted to general until President Johnson signed that law in 1967. So Colonel Hayes, being a colonel, that was the highest she could have gone. And it's that's not that long ago. You know, I'm so thankful for there being men over the, the past decades and years that were willing to stand up for women and say, this is wrong. Women should be able to do this. Women should be able to, to do that. Because if it hadn't been for the men who were willing to be on our side, we would have never been able to make those, have those changes. So I'm yeah, thankful absolutely. for people like President Johnson and other men who who were willing to go. Yeah, because that and I talked about this in a, another episode. We we get on the we get on these little soapboxes every now and then. We are women, so um, and these issues come up when we start talking about some of these stories. It's just infuriating, but um, I don't want to forget that there were a lot of brave men 
who were courageous in standing up for women because it wasn't a popular thing to do. And unfortunately, there are a lot of women who are not, who don't want women to advance, which is horrifying and sad to me. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely men that were allies for women's rights, mm-hmm. just as much as there were men that were against mm-hmm. it, as much as there are women that were like, nope, my place is in the home and this is what I want to do. And hey, look, if that's what you want to do, yeah. cool. But just like, let me have the choice to run around with a gun. Yeah, <laughs> like, if that's what I want to do and let me do that and not get kicked out if I get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So props to President Johnson for signing that law. And then the other people that you know, enacted these laws in the army to help with this ch- these changes. You know, Colonel Hayes didn't sign these laws. She developed a presence in the military. She was graceful in her leadership. She was forceful, but she was also very well respected. And she proved that you can be in a position of leadership as a woman, be effective and be very well respected. And I think them seeing someone like her said, okay, yeah, maybe we can. (laughs) Maybe you're right. We'll listen to you and change these laws. And, you know, it was a joint Mm -hmm. effort. You know, it wasn't one person. But she certainly was like, hey, this isn't right. You know, you need to, we need to change this. So there was also other laws that got changed at her urging or based on her work. She had a lot of influence on them. In July of 1971, Policy AR 601-139 was removed, which was the restriction on the age of dependents of female nurses seeking appointment in the Army Reserve Nurse Nurse Corps. So basically, if I don't know what the age restrictions were, but I think like if your kids were too young and you were a nurse and you wanted to join the Army Reserve, you weren't allowed. You were barred from enlistment. When did that happen? July of seventy one. Okay. So they they removed that and. In the 70s, regulations were changed to allow commissary and post privileges for spouses of female service members. So up until that point, um, if for anyone that doesn't know, if you are married to a service member, you're allowed to go on post. People aren't just allowed to go on to a fort. You can't just walk on a Fort Bragg like I was talking about earlier. And you can go to the commissary, which is generally cheaper. There's You can go on post and you can go to the gym and there's a lot of things that are on army bases that are benefits of being in the military and your spouse gets a spouse card and you and an id and they can go on well the spouses of female service members if they were not in the military they did not get those privileges until the (laughs) seventh but the spouses of male service members did that's so that makes no sense i can't i don't know i'm gonna stop trying to make sense of that (laughs) just gonna stop yeah and if you actually, if anyone sees, has seen the RBG movie, there was a lawsuit that Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, filed where a female service member was not getting dependent pay for her husband, where all the male service members were getting dependent mm. pay for their wives. It's a, it's interesting. The law got changed. Oh, that's and that was so the, cool. I think 60s and 70s. It. Yeah. That was the start of Justice Ginsburg. So... After all of this work, in June June 11th, uh, 1970, she was promoted to Brigadier General, which made her the first female general of the U.S. military. And then immediately behind her, at the same ceremony, General Elizabeth P. Hollingston, who was the director of the Women's Army Corps, was also promoted. So, Hayes, Hollingston... <laughs> A little bit first. That's how the military works. But 
it's cool that she was a nurse. So we're going to just play That's that. That's awesome. <laughs> so General Hayes remarked at the ceremony that she reflects on the dedicated, selfless, and often heroic efforts of Army nurses throughout the world since 1901 in times of peace and war. That was wow. So there were several responses to her promotion, some of them not so congratulatory. (laughs) You can imagine the military culture does not always like when women are doing more stuff there. Sometimes, I'm not saying all men, a lot of times people don't care and they're like, yeah, whatever. As long as you can prove yourself, it's great. But there's there's always going to be a couple of men that are like, yeah, women don't belong. (laughs) But uh, General Hayes got a missus for, m- missive from Germany that was addressed to her. Mrs. Brigadier General Anna May Hayes, Chief of the Feminine Army Sanitary Corps. What? <laughs> yeah, that was rude. Um, but I liked this quote. On one occasion, General William Westmoreland's wife, Kitsy. So General Westmoreland was one of the big generals for v- during Vietnam. And General Westmoreland actually pinned... General Hayes uh, at her ceremony. General Westmoreland is a controversial character, to say the least, but he pinned General Hayes, so good for mm-hmm. him. There. So his wife, Kitsy, remarked to General Hayes, I wish you would get married again. And when General Hayes inquired why, Kitsy Westmoreland responded, I want some man to learn what it's like to be married to a general. <laughs> so I thought that was cute. So she did a lot of work for nurses and just women in the service. And there was a long lasting impact. She retired after, I think, 13 months as a general in August of 1971. So BS prepared nurses rose from 11% to 42%. And I didn't get the time frame on this. I think it was while she was there, but I'm not sure. Um, for qualification to be an officer in the army you have to have a bachelor's degree but for a long time nurses were exempt from this because they were a needed job and you could become an officer with an associate's rn but you maxed out at the rank of captain and so now that's changed you have to have a bsn but for a long time they were grandfathered in and so general hayes was pushing to get more bachelor's prepared Mm -hmm. nurses as officers. She was the driving force behind the creation of the Army Nursing Contemporary Practice Program, which ultimately led to the development of advanced practice roles like nurse practitioners, which is me, and uh, CRNAs, and many other ones. She was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, which is above the silver, I believe above the silver star, which is a very high up. So that's wow. very cool. Yeah. So just some kind of things that have happened two women in the military since then. So the first female general was 1970. Um, women were not allowed in combat roles until January 2016. It was signed into law by President Obama in December of 2015. And for anyone that's interested in the history of Army nursing, military nursing, and just kind of women in the military, if you ever go to Arlington National Cemetery, there is an actual museum on women in the military and it's really really good it's phenomenal and there's a big portion dedicated to military nurses because that's what we did for so long and they have the original document where 
women are now allowed to serve in combat roles there. And I saw it and I actually like teared up because <laughs> I was in the army when this was signed. And it's, it just kind of blows my mind that we could be trained to do the same thing. But so I was trained as a medic, but I would never have been sent to a combat unit because I was a female. So I was trained for the same job, but couldn't go to certain units. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the airliner that a window blew out, like the engine blew up and that pilot landed the plane. It was like last year and it was very heroic. I think someone died, but this pilot was a female. She was actually a female Navy fighter pilot. And she was, if you listen to the audio of this, she's just like so calm, cool and collected. She saved like so many lives. She just landed that plane. It was incredible. It was insane. But she was a fighter pilot and they said, nope, you can't fly combat roles because you're a woman in the 90s. And she has a multi-million dollar play that she's just like, nope, can't can't go to combat with. And so now finally in 2016, women are able to join infantry roles. They're able to do you know, combat fighter pilot roles, everything that we were never allowed to do. We still do not have any female Green Berets. We were talking about the Green yeah. Berets earlier, but... We don't have any females. The first female Rangers were only, uh, they only graduated in August of 2015. And that was Captain Shay Haver and Lieutenant Kristen Gerst. So uh, General Hayes did get to see those because she passed away in January 7th of this past year in 2018. So she got to see some pretty cool advancements of females. That's wonderful. And females. And I know she has to know that. She was a um, important part of all of those advances happening. I think she was pretty humble, and she probably would not have uh, taken much credit for it. But she definitely, definitely mm-hmm. paved the way for people to, to to take it much further. And that's how yeah. it always works. That's that's I love that story. That's wonderful. It's such an empowering story and encouraging story. Yeah, it is empowering, and we we see so many tough things as nurses and we have to make some really mm-hmm. tough decisions and every time I'm like oh my god I don't know if I can do this I'm like no the first female general was a nurse of course I could do this I gotta yeah, live up just, to that right we're a tougher we're yes, a tough profession remember <laughs> some of the people that came before us and how what all they had to do we can we can do anything we can absolutely <laughs> do it yeah All right, welcome back. I hope you guys found that segment to be interesting, although it is definitely a little bit different than our normal style of podcast. And now for the part you've been waiting for, some more stories from Rich and Mira. Rich, do you know what do you know what our actual feel good story uh, is? Our wedding cake <laughs> oh <laughs> was my God. brought to us here. Okay. So Jesus. Okay. Two minutes. I'll make it really short. Really, really short. Honey, you're not allowed to tell the story because you won't make it short. (laughs) So um in one of the cities that we were that we worked in, um, there was kind of a a long-term patient who had, you know, one of those like chronic conditions Mm -hmm. that really required advanced care at home. And so we would do both the transfers at the ALS level. From his home to and then also some yeah, some 911 calls as well, because um, this patient, you know, required an ALS transfer to get to doctor's appointments. And ultimately, this patient ended up 
passing away. But at one point, because I, I saw the family so frequently, his wife had made me tiramisu. And uh, there was a whole thing with the home, like the home health nurse really didn't like me. And she was very, very upset that I got the tiramisu and she didn't. So after this gentleman passed away um, and we had heard about it, we, you know, actually left flowers for the family when we heard about it because we spent a lot of time with them um, a couple weeks later and we had just gotten married and we like eloped. We like went to the top of a mountain, didn't tell anybody for five days. You know, it was just us and our best friends. But when we finally started telling people, it coincided with them bringing a tray of tiramisu for us to the base the day after we got married. So <laughs> it was perfect. That was my my favorite. Um, and I did love, you know, I'm hoping that I'm saying this so that the family wouldn't know who they are, but they were one of my absolute favorite, favorite interactions that I ever had. They were wonderful. I, and it was an absolute honor to get to like, to be with them. They were great. Yeah, I would just say this woman is an absolute hoot and uh, introduced herself by one name when she was actually a different. And, and we were like, who? What? Yeah. Who the yep. fuck is this? What are you talking? Like, what is up with you? And then she just kind of like, she smiled at us because she was like, Haha, I got you guys. And we were like, oh, you're fucking with us. Oh, we yeah, like you. You. Like, you. You fit right in with us, don't you? And she's like, eh, maybe a little bit. So I think, I think <laughs> if, I, if memory serves correctly, she's actually gone to school to... To now be a, a respiratory yeah. attack because her, you know, her father was vented. Aww. And so she, she got real good at it. And she was great. Like she was one of those family members where I was like, you know what you're talking about. I trust you. Yeah, we trusted her more than that so, damn health home health aid nurse. That was- it was um, definitely like that was one of the few ALS patients. You know how you have your dialysis patients, yep. BLS, that you know. This was almost like the equivalent of of ALS dialysis. You know that <laughs> ALS dialysis, but maybe more acute. But it was one of the few ALS patients that I got to develop that relationship with. That and that was awesome. That's great. That's a good ending story. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I had I had a I had an almost another one, but it was more of a personal development for the two of us, I felt like. Because when we started out, we made the joke that we were like junior baby medics and then we were like toddler medics and then we were like, you know, preschool medics. And one day Mira and I went into a call that was a like an absolute shit show. And it was a uh, I was a pediatric who was like chronically ill and had now been seizing for over an hour. And we went in there and hypotensive she, as fuck, like really sick. Had, yeah, and, but she was seizing. So our protocol is give benzos, benzodiazepine to help, you know, see, mm. stop the seizures. And we get in there and manage to get the line, give her the, give her the meds. And she came out and get her pressure and, up. Yep, got her out of it. Got it. Got everything coming around. And the family who was non English speaking was very grateful to us. And we got her to the hospital, and everything went pretty well. And we came out of that. We walked out of there, and the supervisor saw us. And the supervisor, you want to talk about salty medic? Ooh, this guy holds the crown. Who is this? Uh, Gary. And, oh, and he saw us, and he was like, yep. he's like, you guys. You guys are all right. You guys are doing pretty well. And the two of us were like, <laughs> "You don't suck." We, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pr- probably it. Yeah. And he, <laughs> him giving us that, all of a sudden we were like, we're like college medics now. Holy shit! And then that was like, the night that we coined um, 
that night we coined were the um, the junior A team. <laughs> so because we were both junior medics at that time, but staffing was such that we were on a truck together. So yay, private EMS. <laughs> yep. Yep. But but that was our first really acute call that we did together as medics, and and it was it ran really well and. And so now we joke about being the junior senior A team or the senior A team, but yeah, that was that was kind of a, a turn a turnkey or a turn point for us professionally for sure. That's awesome. Okay, thank you guys for listening to this special bonus episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, please leave some ratings and reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It really helps with podcast notoriety, and so I can reach out to more people and get you guys more great guests. You can always follow me on Twitter at Christine the NP or Antidotes Pod, Instagram Antidotes Podcast, and Facebook is Antidote Stories and Medicine, the Facebook group Antidote Stories and Medicine Podcast group. And then if you have any kind of feedback, anything you're like, hey, I don't like that you do this, or I love that you do this, or you should really get so-and-so on as a guest, or you want to be a guest yourself, you can send me an email at antidotespodcast at gmail.com. And again, if you want to donate and help out Dan to reach his goal for the LLS Firefighter Stair Climb, the website is going to be in the show notes. Or you can also go to bit.ly slash firefighterdan and donate to his awesome cause and his amazing feat of strength. <laughs> and a thank you as always to the medic that saved Dan in Afghanistan, Peter Hopkins, who has done our great custom intro music. Check him out at petesingsthings.com. He's also Peter Hopkins on Facebook and Instagram for more incredible music. But I love having custom intro music for the podcast. It makes it seem like we are almost a professional, legitimate podcast. So <laughs> thank you guys again. Thank you for listening. I will be back next week with more stuff for you. And I hope you enjoyed this special episode. Have a good one.